We have before us this morning two of our Lord's disciples, indeed apostles of the twelve apostles. Our focus lately, along with uh, our prayer at each Mass, is for God to grow our church, for us to be about growing the kingdom. We must remember that it is God's doing. We don't build God's kingdom he does. However, it is helpful for us to have a mind and an attitude to expect God to do so and to expect to be used by God in that work. Today, therefore, I'd like to hold up Philip and James as good examples of the kind of life to be lived, to be used by God in the work of growing the kingdom. Again, Um, Well, Jesus, of course, from our collect for Easter 2, is also an example of godly life to us. So keep that in the background. But Philip and James, as these two apostles, as their feast day comes up just once a year, let's focus on them and who they were and how they lived such a life as to build the kingdom. There is considerable discussion And for most of us, much confusion regarding the many men named James in the New Testament. Eight of them, to be exact. Eight mentions of James. Sometimes somewhat confusingly. Let me, as I've done in the past, give you my conclusions from the discussion. And please feel free to dive in and come up with another conclusion and disagree with me. Because at the very least... There are two particular positions to have that most scholars arrive at. And maybe they're equally balanced in their arguments. And to be very clear, there are three James that make it into the church calendar. So if it wasn't confusing already, it is now. Now, I would argue that the James we are talking about here today is not James the Greater, the brother of John, both sons of Zebedee. And actually, no one has any doubt about that. The minor feast day of St. James, the brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, is found in October. From my reading, I would equate that James with the James we're celebrating today. And over the course of history, it has been more clear and less clear at various different times. So we have, I believe, two days celebrating the James we're talking about today. An apostle. Today, our James is an apostle. Um, There is much argument, as I said, on both sides of the issue, and probably it is impossible to prove conclusively what the solution is. But I think that James, the brother of our Lord, was also an apostle of our Lord during his lifetime. There are reasons to suspect that and say, no, that's probably not true. But I don't think they're conclusive. This James wrote the epistle ascribed to James, and he was the first bishop of Jerusalem. This James is called James the Less to distinguish him from James, James the son of Zebedee, John's brother. He was called the Less, presumably because he was called to be an apostle after the Zebedee brothers, or because he was younger than the Zebedee brothers, well, James Zebedee anyways, 
or perhaps because he was of a smaller stature than St. James Bar Zebedee, as the Jews would name it. James, our James today, was known by the nickname Camel Knees. He was so often on his knees praying that they had become quite calloused and rough. And this was apparently a fairly wide-known nickname. Eusebius mentions it in his history um, a couple hundred years later. He was also known as James the Just. He was a great keeper of the law. Even the Jews of Jerusalem respected him for this. His reputation for being very pious was well known. Not just pious in his Christian faith, but pious in his Christian faith as a lifelong Jew. So the Jews thought of him as very pious, even in a Jewish way, if you will. He's the Bishop of Jerusalem. So him keeping most of the ceremonial law. Now, mind you, if I can just shift you a little bit to Acts chapter 15, I think it is. The, um, the first general council was um, in 325 in uh, Nicaea. But the one before that, the zero ecumenical council, or the point five, was in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. And the council got together. And James probably, pro- I don't know this, but probably... He was so pious, he was such a good Jew, if you want to say it that way. He was probably more inclined to the Judaizing sect, as we came to know it, prior to that council. And Paul and Peter give witness in the council that makes the council decide, hmm, apparently you don't have to be circumcised to become a Christian. James, with his very Jewishness, may have very well thought, no, probably you should become a Jew first, then a Christian. But when the council decides, and by the way, the text of Scripture says, James says, and James delivers the verdict, because he's already at that point the Bishop of Jerusalem. So James is so very pious, as a Jew even, that he has this amazing reputation in Jerusalem. James wrote the, the, the general letter of St. James, as we would understand it. Our epistle this morning is taken from it. This letter is not really much of a letter. It's really a work of Jewish wisdom literature, much like the Proverbs of the Old Testament. This is a remarkably early part of the New Testament, possibly as written as early as the 40s. Perhaps within 10 years of the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord, James wrote this part of the New Testament. James wrote us the words of our epistle lesson this morning. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking Nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. 
Count it all joy. That means finding a peace and a contentment without which we will never have joy. That means finding that peace, contentment, and joy even in the midst of the struggles of everyday life. And think about your life. And think about which struggles you had this last week. You might be able even to pinpoint the struggles you're likely to have this week given what you have coming up this week. And you might know your heart well enough to know that in a given situation coming up, you're going to struggle with this issue. James says, have joy. That peace and contentment and joy, even in the midst of those struggles that you know very well. The everyday struggles, and yes, often the bigger struggles, the difficulties of life, the big things that show up. I would argue that this is how St. James was able to rule the church in the chief city of the faith in the early church with joy and peace and contentment. Remember that he was revered even by the Jews for his piety. Finally, though, he enraged the Jewish leaders so much. Eusebius says that they asked him basically to clarify some issues between Christianity and Judaism and that you know the Christ is not necessarily the Messiah for everyone and I don't know Eusebius I read him rather quickly I don't I'm like that's a strange thing so they set him up on high uh, I think some sources say the walls of the city in one spot he's up on the wall and in another spot on the um, up high in the temple and um, of course what does he do he preaches the gospel And the Jewish leaders are enraged, like, what did you think he was going to do? And um, they go up and throw him down. Throw him from the wall or from the temple. Um, And he was stoned to death on Easter Day in the year 62. After almost 30 years of Episcopal ministry in a very difficult place. The steadfastness and piety of James facing with joy the difficulties of ministry in a very difficult city, living a life of service in such a place with peace and contentment. This is a great example to us in the church today. Living in California is a trial. Living under the government of California, living with some, shall we say, very different attitudes, opinions, and uh, perceptions of how life ought to be lived and what is important in life uh, as opposed to what Christ calls us to have as important and perceptions, etc., worldviews, if you will. Living in this place is a trial. And that's why so many are leaving. And if you haven't noticed... The people that are leaving are the people that we need. The Orthodox Christians are fleeing in droves. And I get it. I understand. Yet I say to these people, because they're always, why why are you still here? And my response is usually, well, California needs Jesus probably more than the places you're going. The Lake Almanor Basin, Indian Valley, Susanville, Chico, all these places and the people in them need Jesus. Some of us will stay. God will see to it. It is up to us to have the peace, the contentment, 
and the joy to live out the faith with piety and a certain amount of gravitas and, of course, to feast in joy. This kind of example is what will draw people to the faith and to the kingdom. The ministry of St. Philip is also an example to us this morning from our gospel reading today. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Says one scholar, From St. Philip, we must particularly learn an ardent love of God and a desire to see the Father. He asked only this favor because this was his only desire. Is it ours? Do we feel it so perfect as to to extinguish all inordinate earthly affections and desires in our breasts? Do we employ the proper means to attain to this happy disposition? To obtain it, let us employ the succor of this apostle's prayers, and by disengaging our hearts from corruption and vanity, become in desires and affections citizens of heaven. Given the example of St. James' life, can we also incorporate a desire, an ardent love, to commune with God? to participate in the heavenly life while still serving God and others in our life here in the practical practical humdrum of everyday life. I would also like to promote to us this morning another way that St. Philip is an example to us. The first thing Philip did, like St. Andrew a day before him, was to go get a friend and introduce him to Jesus. Philip brought Nathanael to Jesus. In fact, when Nathanael doubted Philip's testimony, he simply said, come and see for yourself. Nathanael believed. Philip spent his life after the ascension of our Lord in Phrygia. You all know where Phrygia is. It's actually, today it's southern and, wait a minute, for you, southern and western Turkey. Galatia is in that region. And Philip apparently served many decades there, as St. Polycarp is said to have known him. And Polycarp was likely born in the mid to late 70s. So Philip lived to be an older man. By the third century, all of Phrygia is Christian. So my friends, we see from these two apostles celebrated today the example of a devout and holy life of peace, contentment, and joy, and a love for God and to bring others to the knowledge and joy of knowing Jesus. St. Andrew's Church here in Northern California must follow these examples. Our job is to be like these disciples and to grow the kingdom. No, we may not be evangelists by gifting. No, we don't have a clergy staff of five or six. No, we're not in a big city. Is God ignorant of these realities? Of course not. Does he still expect this parish to be living after the example of St. James the Just? Yes. What about St. Philip and his ardent love for God? 
again, yes. Does he expect all of us at St. Andrew's Parish to find the Nathaniels of our lives and the Phrygians of our lives and bring them into the church even with our failings and our limitations? Yes, he does. Amen.